Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Coles Wicker is here. Uh, we're going to have two podcasts this week. It's Thanksgiving week. Uh, we're going to have two, you know, 45-minute podcasts, we're thinking. We're going to try and do some shorter episodes, maybe, uh, instead of going for 95 minutes uh, every single time that we talk. It'll still be 95 minutes, but for you guys, it'll be split up into two different podcasts. So, Cole, the first podcast here, this one, we're going to talk about the Maui Invitational and the Duke loss that happened last night while I was seeing Charlie's Angels, by the way. Like, I didn't even watch the game live. I went back and watched some of it this morning. Um, and then the second podcast that'll be released on Thursday or Friday we will talk about just some of the other things that we've seen throughout college basketball here. So, Cole, how are you doing, man? Doing well. I'm trying to catch up with all these games and stay on top. I refuse to get behind this year, but the tournaments around you know Thanksgiving, of course, always get a bit trying in that regard. Oh, yeah. like it's You have to go back and you have to pick and choose your spots, I feel like. Otherwise, you're just going to have no chance of keeping up. Like... You, you almost have to like for me like I watch very few games live so like the Anthony Edwards explosion that we're gonna lead with right like I had that on in the background as I was writing about Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz which will come out later this week um and then I'm like kind of paying attention kind of seeing and then I start seeing Anthony like go way off I'm like oh no I just like flat out need to lock into this game and watch it and then Anthony Edwards dropped 33 points in 15 minutes so it was worthwhile, but a lot of the time, like, it's just such a time suck for me to watch two-hour games whenever I can genuinely watch three games in two hours and 15 minutes on Synergy. Yeah, exactly right. It's more efficient to do it that way. The funniest part about the Edwards game, we can kind of get into that as we go along, but the funniest part for me is I paused the game literally when he had six points with 15 minutes left or so in the second half because I had a call. And I didn't watch the game again until I already saw the reaction. Like, you sent me a tweet or a, a text. I got a bunch of tweets about it. And then I was like, what the hell just happened? Like, he went from six. And he was, like, disappointing in the first game, too. So it was basically, like, you know, over – it was, like, three halves and, and plus five minutes or so of him playing disappointing basketball. And then all of a sudden, it was, like, a freaking onslaught. Yeah, and, you know, like, it's funny. This season – so I've gone – I went and wrote about him today. Like, his – ridiculous performance inspired me to write like 2,500 words until 1 a.m. last night. And (laughs) you go back, like you look at all of the prospects so far, they've all like made this massive statement, like all the guys at the top, right? Like Cole Anthony started his season, 34 points, 11 rebounds, five assists against Notre Dame. Tyrese Maxey had the big showcase game against Michigan State, hilariously, where he dropped 26 points in Madison Square Garden. LaMelo Ball had the 32-point triple-double this past weekend in the NBL and has had a couple of other great games. Um, James Wiseman even dropped like 28 and 11 in his debut, right? But it felt like with Anthony Edwards... It's not that like NBA scouts were like, oh, he's falling behind, like we need to see some more from him. He just hadn't had that statement game yet, right? Like he he dropped, I think, 28 or 29 on the Citadel, but he took 27 shooting possessions to get there. Even after this game against Michigan State, he has like a 51.7 true shooting percentage still. Like he is uh, far from a perfect prospect. But then you watch this half 
of basketball. And there is no one else in this draft who can do what he did. I feel strongly about that. Like there is nobody else uh, who will go into the 2020 draft who would be able to have 33 points on 15 shots and do it in the way that he did where every single shot was translatable to the NBA insofar as like, oh my God, this is a difficult shot that he can get at basically any point, and he just knocked them all down. He made seven threes. A lot of them were like step-back, sidestep threes uh, off of like lethal crossover moves. It, it was just an absurd performance in so many ways. Yeah, and I agree with you as far as I don't think anybody in this class can do what he can that easily. Like what Anthony Edwards can do, you That's a can't good really take you can't really take away and like most athletes can't take away because he, his size, his ability, his suddenness on his pull up shot is just so impressive. That's been his number one, most impressive feat to me this year is just how quickly he can get into his pull up, how sudden he can transfer from his dribble move to, to that process. And it's just impossible to stop when you're six, five at that big and you can just shoot over some of these guys and you have the athleticism in short areas to separate. So the shot making was just absolutely absurd. Like maybe Cole Anthony can do a little bit of that, but I don't think he can give you that to that extent being that unstoppable just because Anthony Edwards is so much bigger. He had a couple nice um, transition hit aheads too, some nice bounce passes on the move. But I think the main takeaway, like you noted, was just how impossible he is to guard on pull-ups when he has it going. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the suddenness in terms of being able to change speed and direction. It's not even just that. It's the fact that, you know, when I talked to him and I wrote this, when I talked to him in March at McDonald's, what he told me is he was really trying to work on his catch-and-shoot game, right? Because he felt that he struggled with balance on that. And look, a lot of these shots weren't really of the catch-and-shoot variety. But what he does really well is he has that sudden stopping ability while also being able to rise straight up and stay balanced throughout his shot. Like even on fadeaway shots, he still has a very straight line throughout uh, his back, throughout his legs that is just very, very impressive and it allows him to be a difficult shot maker. The fact that he has that kind of body control makes him a guy that will make shots. Yeah, absolutely. The deceleration on balance, like sometimes he's not going full speed, but just the the ability to take like two forward dribbles, but just really kill it. It's just very hard to stay with, especially when you're worried about him. I mean, he, this is a, a weakness of his right now is just literally choosing shots and, and not going right. to the rim, not playing to his size. But defenders still think that he's going to do that, right? Because he is a formidable threat to drive. Yeah, when, when he's he six take- foot five, 225 pounds. <laughs> And like a literal just physical freight train coming at you either in transition or driving, especially given that suddenness and ability to change directions and change speeds. Like you can't really sell out to play the shot because if you do, he is going to blow by you and he is going to finish above the rim. Yeah, and that's exactly his allure. We're seeing his allure down the stretch of that game. Pretty clear statement. But when you have to worry about the threat of a shot and you have to worry about his drive, you probably can't guard both when it comes to Anthony Edwards because he's the best downhill athlete in this class. So that just comes full circle there. And and you see the shot-making potential. You see some of the passing vision um, at times when it's in front of him in like a transition setting. But yeah, I, I think he really answered some questions there. A lot of people probably were asking 
you know, based on his game against Dayton, based on what they've seen before that, like, why is this guy in consideration for the number one pick based on just his play and some of college play, especially of late, you know, with the shot selection, with him not playing to his size. And you saw it there. It's a shot making. It's hopefully his ability to put like marry those two things better, marry the ability to, to attack when he should attack or, or pull up when he's able to pull up and he becomes almost an unstoppable scorer at his size for a guard. He is the guy for you that has the most upside in this class, right? Cause like, I think to me, it's like pretty clearly him. Now the consistency, the shot selection, uh, the feel for like shot selection, even like that stuff is concerning to me. And like, I think that there is a very real case that, for some guys, that never really comes along. And if you feel more comfortable with someone like a Cole Anthony, someone like a LaMelo Ball, like, I get it. But to me, when I watch him, like, I just think it's very obvious that if he figures some of that stuff out, like, even 10% of it, he's just the number one guy. Like, I, I, it's, it's hard for me to get past uh, what he can do. Yeah, in theory, absolutely. Like this is the guy I want to be the number one pick. I mean, you look at the physical. That's a great ability, way to look frame at it. Enough skill. Like this is the guy I want to be the number one pick. I'm not there yet. He's always been in both of our tier ones. So clearly, we think he's capable, and you can make a definite argument for it. I just want to see again, like you noted, I want to see more consistency. I want to see this guy play to his size and really realize that there isn't a player in college basketball that can really guard him. Like. I don't think anybody on Dayton, they had some good reps on him, but it's like they shouldn't have any personnel that's going to really challenge him. If he can use like a shoulder drop on drives, if he can really play to that ability, attack the rim. If he was wired more like Shea, for example, and he just hit these open driving lanes every single time and was just really aggressive doing that. I don't know how you stop this guy, but he hasn't been that yet. And if he turns that corner and he shows progress there, that's going to be really big for me. Yeah, and the other thing I do want to mention too is a lot of these power athletes, guys like him, they tend to be two-footed jumpers early in their career. You know, Donovan Mitchell is like a really great example of this, right? Um, Anthony Edwards is already like a one-foot leaper finishing around the basket, and he has the ability to go off of one foot and finish above the brim. Like the the fact that he's already there – I think it bodes really well for his development long term because it's one less issue that he has to fix. Because realistically, to be a lead finisher in today's NBA, to be a guy who can be efficient, you really have to be a one-foot leaper. It's just like there's very few examples of two-foot leapers being just this incredible force in today's NBA. Yeah, and we've seen it from him. I mean, again, we see him do some Euro steps. We see some agility around the basket as well. And we also see the power. I mean, if you watch him at lower levels, you can see him easily go off one in traffic. He just hasn't really strung that together against better competition yet. I, I just want to see him do it. And if he does, it's going to be really hard to have him at least outside the top two. I, I would say top one if he really presents that front. It's just, yeah, I just have some questions about, you know, he's not very strong with the ball on his gathers. He hasn't been that way this yeah. year. And he's not finishing at the level that you'd expect someone with his physical prowess to do that, even like through contact. He's not like not physical. He doesn't avoid contact, but he just hasn't gotten down the exact process, how to be strong with the ball, how to be strong through contact, extend. He can use both hands. It just, it's just going to be something that he has to show more consistently. And we have a lot of the season to go. And I think that's going to be one of the primary indicators and primary inputs that we really need in this class is how does Edwards attack how does he finish because that's one of the most important skill sets in this class 
Yeah, he's played six games and has only taken 16 shots at the basket in half court. That's just not enough, really, for someone like him. He's getting to the line a ton. Like, he's getting fouled an awful lot whenever he's doing that. He's taking, like, seven free throws a game. But nonetheless, like, I would like to see him be a lot more attack-oriented consistently. Let's, uh, regardless, like, Anthony Edwards is a stud. Uh, He is going to be a top five pick at the very least. And like you and I said... We both think that, like, we would want him to establish himself as the number one guy because that just is his talent level, basically. Can I I say one more quick thing about him really quick? Yeah. I would just just fixate on his individual defense for the listeners here. Like, when you want to try to drive on him, when he's engaged, you can't get around him. Yep. Like, he's very, very elite laterally. He's very gifted laterally. He made some nice splash plays in, in that second game against Michigan State, too. Had, like, three blocks, three steals. Saw him come over from the weak side in transition. If we start to see him more engaged off the ball, that's a huge plus. But I just want to note that at his size at 6'5", and his ability to move laterally, which I think is one of the best in this class, like, he's going to be a switch guy to me if he's engaged. Engaged, and he's going to be really good there in the playoffs, in my opinion. Yeah, totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned, the flash plays were there. He did end up with four steals and three blocks yesterday. Uh, he had the five turnovers in the game. But if you actually go back and watch those turnovers, he got credited with two or three of them that were, like, very iffy. Like, two of them were on travel calls that were just honestly not going to get called in the NBA. And one of them was on an entry pass to a big man where it was fine. Like it hit the big man in his hands. The big man just dropped it. Right. So it wasn't even a bad night from like a turnover perspective, even though it looked that. So yeah, that, that was basically a perfect game from Anthony Edwards. I thought, especially in the second half, switching gears now to Michigan state, um, weird team so far this year. Not really another way to say it. Cassius Winston was monstrous. In the game against Georgia, like I really can't remember someone uh, this year who just kind of, he just dominated the pace and the flow of the game in that first half to such an extent that uh, Georgia just had no chance in, in ball screen situations. They had absolutely no chance. Yeah, and that's his calling card. I mean, controlling the pace, you know, he's skilled, can shoot it, makes good decisions, had that one really nice transition pass. I I think he's mostly held to form. Um, I I don't know if he gets – he might get drafted at the end of round two, maybe mid-round two, depending on who comes out. He's definitely going to get a shot in the NBA. At some point, he's going to get a two-way. He's going to obviously get a summer league contract. My my opinions haven't really changed about him. What about you? About Cassius, correct? Or about uh, Aaron Henry? Uh, Cassis. Yeah, he's fine. He'll be like a late yeah. first, early second round pick. He's really good. Like, <laughs> Cassius is what he is. We've been scouting him for four years now, you know, but like, it's, it's just worth noting whenever he has these awesome performances, you know, like, especially just with what he's going through right now. Like he's been, um, you know, he just dealt with the death of his brother who was his best friend. And the fact that he's doing this is just really impressive. No, I totally agree with that. Um, in regards to Aaron Henry, I, I'm i really high on him as far as I think he's – we've talked about him at nauseam before, but I think he's a rotation player in the NBA, rotation wing. I'm not really sure about the upside, but I do like the floor. 
And, you know, he, he makes winning plays consistently. Like this first game at Maui, like two guys went with the ball. I remember this play. I tweeted about it. And like he rotated down from the weak side and blocked the shot, just covered up for the, for the mishap. You see a lot of intricate, you know, immediate passes that he makes, quick reads, quick processing. He can shoot a catch and shoot three. Some people have compared him to someone like Gary Harris. And I will say that his shot isn't nearly as versatile no. as Harris's was at Michigan State. He's like he can't on. come off the screen. Exactly right. He's he's pure feet set, but in some systems in the NBA that, that require and, and they rely more on just pure spacing. You're not coming off a down screen. I think he can function in that setting. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, the defense does really just impress me most of the time that he's on the court. Like he's really good defensively, I think. Um, he uses his body really well. He's really good at using uh, his physicality. He's really good at using his length. He tends to be there in help side situations. Like he is, he's genuinely a really good defender. Um, and that is impressive for a guy that is, I think he's like 19 or 20. Like he's just, he has, like you said, all of those nuances down. Yes, good on-ball defender, even against guards, too. I like him there a lot. Like, he has quick feet. He has the strength there. He doesn't have incredible length, but he uses his length very well. Um, he got first stepped, I think, twice in the first half by Anthony Edwards. That's going to happen, and that's why I kind of don't think he's, like, this ultimate wing-stopper type. But I do think he's very good defensively, and he's a good team defender, which is, is big for me, being good on and off the ball. The last guy I want to talk about is Xavier Tillman. And... I want to talk about it in the context of how Michigan State is using him because it drives me fucking crazy. Um, (laughs) Xavier Tillman, to me, is like the prototypical guy that you want as like a short roll, pick and pop big man. And they rarely utilize him like that. They almost always have Xavier roll all the way to the basket and roll into a post up or try and roll hard into a... Uh, just a lob, right? Or he rolls hard, comes around, and resets a screen, right? He's really good as a passer, and I know that like his decision-making hasn't been quite as great this season um, as what I thought it was last season. He's still averaging like over two assists a game, and that's like a good number from a freshman, or from a, a center, not a freshman, I'm sorry. And <laughs> I think that they could be utilizing him much better as a pick-and-pop, short-roll big man, especially given the problems that they're having at the four right now, because Tom Izzo just refuses to go small, which is driving me crazy. Like, play Gabe Brown and play Aaron Henry uh, next to two guards and Xavier Tillman and just roll, I think. but And they did that late against Georgia, and they were actually successful a little bit. Um do that, and I would be very interested. But if you're not going to do that, what you have to do when you roll Xavier Tillman super hard, what they're doing is the backside defender on the four-man is coming and tagging Tillman hard because almost every team now is just blitzing Cassius Winston in ball screens. They're throwing two guys on him yep. and making him make passes and making him uh, making sure that he's not the guy that beats them. So what happens is, is as that backside tagger comes over, they're replacing the pop man with the four man, which is one of Thomas Kithier or Malik Hall or someone else, right? Um, sometimes it's the, I think his name's Julius Marble. Um, when you do that and you have that guy replace into the pop, which is essentially the safety valve for Cassius Winston, that guy needs to be something of a threat. None of those three, especially Kithier and Marble, when they're on the floor, are threats in the slightest. Like, teams just flat out do not respect them. Malik Hall, 
he's hit or miss and he hasn't been good enough yet as a freshman to like really hold down that spot. But sometimes he can make shots. I would venture that by the end of the year, he'll probably be the one that they utilize. But what I would like to see them do is instead of just, you know, having Tillman roll hard and then using that backside tagger coming to tag Tillman uh, to allow the four man to roll up. I would just short roll Tillman and play these guys spacing into the corners and spacing into the wings. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent with that. And of course I want any kind of system that gets these bigs more into space as gap players, like attacking the basket. One of my biggest things with Tillman this year is evaluating his ability to score and his ability to slash, especially like his driving ability. We haven't really seen much of that when he has done it. He hasn't looked as good. Like he's not putting up good scoring numbers this year, but I wanted him more as like a face up guy. Knew he could pass, knew he could make decisions, but I want to see him more as like an individual slasher. And that just hasn't happened as much this year, unfortunately. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, it's just a bizarre uh, way to utilize their talent, I think. Um, I've not really – look, like Tom Izzo's incredible, and he's really good at getting a team to come together and building a culture and making sure that all of these guys know what their role is, right? And by the end of the year, this Michigan State team is going to be exceptional, I think. I have personally not been a huge fan of the way that they've operated so far. And that's like just like my small opinion on things. Like against Virginia Tech, I thought that it was malpractice to not go small against that team earlier. Just given that you were forcing Tillman and a second big man to cover all sorts of ridiculous off-ball movement. And like just with the way that they play, they tend to overplay um guys coming around like onto the wing and trying to deny catches and that creates situations where um, it's going to be harder for them to recover if someone shoots back door and then runs around like a baseline screen and is coming around to the opposite corner because you're making bigs chase constantly and that's just not something that I would want to see them do I would prefer to see them try smaller lineups a little bit more often. Yeah, I'm 100% with that. And, and, like, I talked to Jordan Sperber about this. Like, I mentioned this on Twitter, and maybe it's worth discussing this conversation, too. Like, I'm not even one of these guys in college basketball that says, like, you have to go small, right? Like, in the NBA, I firmly believe you have to have four-scale guys around um, a fifth man. And as much size as you can have around those – or within those skill guys along the four, the better you're for it, Right. But in college, the geometry of the court is so different that defensively, they're very, there is a very real case to play two true big men. Um, Michigan State obviously has been very good so far this year at defending the basket in part because of that. But whenever a team is just murdering you on three pointers and is murdering you with off ball movement, you gotta just be able to handle that. And maybe we can move into Landers Nolly now because Landers Nolly is the guy that really just hammered them. Uh, against Virginia Tech like he was really really good um the little white kid what is the what was the white kid's name um oh it's slipping my brain right now yeah the the one who hit uh a couple of threes is it is it catter I honestly don't know yeah <laughs> Hunter <right>. Hunter <laughs> Couture is is, is okay. it's Couture um so like those guys just beat these beat these bigs coming off because 
Michigan State switches a lot of actions. They do uh, a lot of different things defensively, and it was really impressive. And I think that Nolly was obviously the guy that took advantage of it. He dropped 22 points against Michigan State. Um, you know, he's like six foot seven. They list him as a guard, but realistically, he is like the prototypical college four man, basically. Um, having said that, athletically, I am not sure what to do with him yet. Um, he's shooting 49% from three. I'm very interested to see how the parts of his game fit together whenever he gets to a more realistic clip uh, in terms of shooting. Like he is a very good shooter, very clearly, but I want to see a little bit more of just how good he is as a shooter. He has really good instincts, really good feel. It seems like he passes the ball well. He plays a very unselfish style, but athletically, I, I am, and in terms of his handle, I'm not entirely sure where he falls in yet like I think he's just a four that's kind of what I think too I think he's more of like your backup rotation stretch four type like I really buy the shot very little input in his mechanics very clean I do think he's going to shoot we've even seen him shoot off movement like you alluded to a couple times coming off screens he looks very comfortable from NBA range has that one motion release so I'm definitely buying that element to his game and usually guys who have positional size he has pretty good length too it seems like usually guys that have that physical stature and can shoot they find a role in the league at some point I don't know how high he's going to be really pursued yet but I, I do trust that element of his game he seems intelligent as well like you noted can make some interesting passes at times I got to get a better read on his defense from like a team defense standpoint yeah he's got okay feet there not good but not like terrible feet I think more you see it show up on offense with his lack of legs like he just can't jump and he can't even really get by guys on closeouts that well like from what I've seen against better athletes he's not really eating up any of that space he can't beat guys one-on-one so he's mostly to me like a volume catch and shoot three guy who you can also use you know off movement a little bit in certain systems that's about the best read I have on him right now. I know he's getting a lot more pub, and he's deservedly so. I think from all the players that I've watched this year, he's one of the more convincing shooting bets. And again, when you pair that with positional size, I, I do think he's going to be heard from at some point in the draft. Yeah, I agree. Uh, again, I do. I agree with you. I want to see more of him defensively, and I want to see more of what his game looks like whenever he is not shooting 50% from three. Like, I think that that's just, like, a huge factor that has to be considered. And if it's not considered, then, like, what are we doing here, right? Like, we, you almost have to really worry about this stuff. Otherwise, you're going to screw up in the draft. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about Obi Toppin before we get to an ad. Because Obi Toppin, I think, if it wasn't for Anthony Edwards, would be the biggest story in Maui right now. He has been exceptional, Uh Throughout the start of his season, I think he's probably been one of the five or six best college basketball players I've seen. Um, he's averaging 24 points and eight rebounds this season. He's shooting 72% from the field, despite the fact that like he takes multiple threes a game. Like this is not this is not like your typical just guy who only dives toward the basket he's already taken 21 or what is it he's taken 15 threes this year um he's shooting 53 percent on those that won't last but like he is a really ridiculously good offensive player and i feel like we're at the point now where he is establishing himself as one of if not the best small ball center prospects in this draft that was going to be my question to you is it's not exactly a high bar in this class, but 
do you think he's the best offensive big in this class? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think a lot of it depends on where Isaiah Stewart's shooting settles in. Um, I, I am a big Isaiah Stewart fan, and I don't think that – like I think Mike Hopkins is a really, really good coach. Like I, He's not one of the coaches that I would complain about in college basketball, but his offense isn't exactly going to like blow people away in terms of <laughs> getting uh, Isaiah Stewart you know, open catch-and-shoot threes and stuff. Like Anthony Grant is running unbelievable offense right now I think at Dayton like that is the sixth best offense in the country according to Ken Palm right now they have the best effective field goal percentage they have the best two-point percentage they're shooting threes on 44 percent of their attempts like it's just a it's such a great offense right now um, that I think puts Toppin in a specifically incredible position to succeed and I wonder what that looks like uh, in a different scheme right but at the end of the day like the scheme is you know not terribly dissimilar to what nba teams will run so to me like when i watch obi Toppin, like i think he is maybe a better version of rashawn holmes in rashawn holmes this year for people who haven't watched the kings like he's played a significant role in the kings kind of turning things around here because he is an awesome dive man who rolls hard to the basket and just creates havoc like if you throw Obi Toppin in there who can shoot the ball at a greater extent at least than what um, than what Rashawn Holmes can. Like, I kind of think that that's maybe upside of an NBA starting center, maybe more of like a you know third big who is just an awesome change of pace guy, which means for me he's more in like the 18 to 22 range right now. But like he is putting himself – very strongly on the radar to be considered as a potential lottery pick, I think. Yeah, and I have trouble in this class keeping him out of like even the top twenty. It's yeah. when you I agree I agree that Dayton, like I love watching Dayton. Like they run like a very pro system, like with yeah. how they utilize him and like and the by versatility. The way, like, he it's worth mentioning here too. Part of the reason that like this is is that he turns twenty two in March. Like he's not your typical sophomore college basketball player like he is older for his not even just for his class but like he is an old player for the nba draft yes 100 percent. but i do think that he brings a very unique skill set that i i think that he's the best offensive big in this class just looking at what he can do like easy to make that case he can pick and pop. I like I like his mechanics. Has the one motion release. I think that's going to translate well. You know, he can dive to the rim. He can also put it on the floor a little bit, and that's something that is really big. I think he's skilled enough to where NBA teams might feel comfortable playing him some at the four. Like when you can compare that to someone like a Kongwu, for example, who's like a straight five. Like he's straight. He's like a smaller five. He's either going to have to play a third big role. He's going to have to find a really good team fit with someone like Jaron Jackson. Whereas Toppin, I do feel like has a little bit more skill diversity. Like he can post up mid post. He can like, we saw the drop steps and stuff like that, but he can also face you up, put the ball on, on, on the ground a couple of times, get to the basket. And I feel like that is huge for him as far as bringing that skill set. But I, I mostly just buy I buy the shot. I buy that he can be like a spread pick and roll big who can dive and pop. He can also play a little bit from the mid post as well, but he can also space off the ball. And that's really big too. That allows NBA teams to maintain their spacing integrity. So I think he can do a little bit of everything. Is he like any, is he great at any one thing? I mean, he's a great play finisher, right? He can finish around the basket. He doesn't have, he doesn't have to dunk. Like he has touch around the rim as well. So I think he's going to be a weapon there. The question is team fit. 
Can he play? I think a lot of teams are going to feel more comfortable with him at the four. I think ideally he's a five. He's going to get minutes there 100 percent. I'm just saying, can he get onto the floor at the four spot as a starter and then kind of swing over there? And I think he's one of the bigs in this class who has that ability. Like Isaiah Stewart, I think, is a straight five skill wise. Yeah. I, I think Toppin's way ahead of him. But we've had a little bit differing opinions on Stewart. And like you noted, he's not allowed to showcase everything at Washington he can do. But I think Toppin's a much better leaper and just a bunch of differences there. I just want to shed light on some of Toppin's skill level, which I feel like NBA teams will be a little bit more comfortable trying to get on the floor, maybe at the four spot, for example. Well, like Isaiah Stewart, too, is I want to say he's pretty close to three full years younger than Obi Toppin, too. So, like, there's a lot of time here. But, like, Obi's just pure body control athleticism stuff, like, that's stuff that Isaiah is never going to be able to do, I don't think. It's more about, like, do you think Isaiah can shoot? Do you think he can actually hold down the center position on the interior as a defender? And what I, th- I, I think that Isaiah can do that to a much greater extent than Obi can. Um, like he has a seven foot three wingspan. He's 250 pounds. He's strong as shit inside. Whereas Obi is more of a guy that um, is a skill player. He's, not a finesse player. He is someone that can use his power and strength, but he's a skill-based guy. Oh, yeah. If we're factoring defense here, that's why I've, I've been a little lower on top and throughout this entire process. It's, it's like, I don't know what he does. He's not ultra physical. I don't love him as a team defender. I don't love his instincts. Switching, I, I, I do think he's a little stiff still, but he is moving a little bit better than I gave him credit for last year, I think. So I'm, I'm going to really go back and watch his ability to switch on the guards, contain drives and stuff. You know, I, I do feel like he moves a, a little bit stiff at times. But yeah, defense is the concern. Like if you could play defense, I would have him in the top 10. Like if I felt good about that, because this offensive projection and how I think he's going to be utilized at the NBA level is there. I don't really care. I I mean, I do care about his age, clearly. But again, I think to your point, I don't expect a lot of the bigs in this class to ever have what he has right now. And that's something that you have to factor in. It's it's not just about development. Guys don't always develop into into players that they can't become. You know what I mean? Like you can't develop into some kind of athlete fluidity wise, power wise, skill wise that is outside your stratosphere. And I think that he is to most of the bigs in this class, just beyond what they're able to reach. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like the fact that he is going to be 22 on draft day, like it doesn't preclude me from drafting him. Like not even a little bit. Like uh, he's very clearly a late bloomer. He's very clearly on a positive growth trajectory. Like this is not someone that is stalling out at all. So I, I think that that's a huge factor as well. Like, Maybe he does continue to develop his ball skills because like you said, like he very clearly has taken a jump there. Now, do I think he's ever going to be some like legitimate four man shot creator that attacks closeouts and makes like high level kickout reads regularly? I don't, but I, we've seen enough of a leap there, but I wouldn't that like, I wouldn't rule it out, I guess like this year based off of what we've seen. Yeah, and I'm with that 100%. I'm not saying for sure he reaches that point. I just think that he has the best chance. And a part of this, of course, is the class, too. This class is not you know, deep with talented offensive bigs. And I think that he at least, you know what he's going to do on an NBA floor. He's going to be productive. You know, teams are going to like him. I, I think that, you know, a lot of modern NBA offense is a lot of spacing above the break from the five uh, and, and just trying to get those offensive, high offensive efficiency lineups on the floor. And I do think that Toppin in this class probably presents the best opportunity to do that. Yep. Uh, let's move on. Uh, two more subjects here before we get out of here on this podcast. The first one, is going to be just Kansas, like they're at Maui. Um, 
I like I'm not a huge fan of any of these guys now from like an NBA perspective. I think that they're all second round prospects. Like Devon Dotson has taken a big leap in terms of his ability to finish inside and his turnovers have been better since the uh, disaster that was the Duke game. Uh, he's still only like a 30% three-point shooter, unfortunately, right now. Um, at some point, I would hope that that turns. He still doesn't seem like the best distributor. Like He seems like a change of pace backup point guard to me. Yeah, that's always who he's been to me. I like his physicality. I like his toughness at his size. I just don't know what he does exceptionally well. Usually those guys have to shoot at a high level, you know, three-pointers, like relocate off the ball and be a better presence there. And I just haven't seen that from him. But I do like some of his attributes. He definitely gets a shot. Yeah, uh, Yudoka Azubuke, again, very situational player, right? Um, you know, he's basically done what he's been doing throughout the course of his entire career. So far this season, he's shooting 80% from the field. He still can't shoot free throws, um, you know, 13 points in 26 minutes a night. So good, good for you, Yudoka. Like, <laughs> I don't really know what to say. He's like a 10 minute a game center, if that, in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, he's a play finishing center. Uh, he's not Boban. He doesn't have Boban's touch in my in my opinion, as far as just being that astronomically large, too. I, I will say kind of he role, might be stronger. Okay. Yeah, I, I think he's he's probably like a better pure like dunker than Boban. Boban likes to get those deep seals as far as like catching alley oops. Like D Boban, a lot of the times likes to get those deep seals to get to his jump hook. He can of course dunk without really even jumping when he gets position. But that's just what I'm saying as far as role, like a very select role off the bench. You know, I think he's gonna get a spot. He's gonna carve out a role in the NBA potentially, but it's gonna be more reduced minutes. Maybe like your fifth big in advantageous matchups, for example. Yeah, I agree. Um, are you highest on O'Shea Agbaji from this group? I don't think so. How do you say Tristan and Aruna's name? Is yeah, that right? you nailed it. Yeah, I, I think I'm more curious about him. Long term, Not, I mean, yeah. I don't view any, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't view any of these guys as really gets, to be honest. And I haven't watched Kansas and Maui. I'm going to watch them today. But... I don't really love any of these guys. I think Tristan's the guy that I look at and say, okay, maybe I can see it with him long term as a potential get, but obviously he's not like he's not coming out this year. Can I can I make a very brief case for Marcus Garrett? Uh go ahead. Marcus Garrett is if not the best perimeter defender in college basketball on a short list of like the five best perimeter defenders in college basketball, he's six, five has great length, has great uh, lateral quickness. He's going to guard on the ball. He's really good off the ball, averaging 2.2 steals per game. Um, he's also a good decision maker. Like he, the, the real issue is here. He can't shoot. And I don't know that I ever think he's going to shoot, but if you get, him to a situation where they think that they can literally rebuild the shot from the ground up, there is a lot of very interesting role player potential there that I am excited about. Uh, to like get him into, I'm not saying draft him, I'm saying get him into a G League situation, um, maybe even as a two-way, but probably as an Exhibit 10. 
Yeah, and I think that's the allure with him is you can get him for without spending any resources. Like he's not going to get drafted, so if you can rebuild the shot, you really feel good about that. Like, how would you compare him to like? Obviously, this guy was a much higher profile prospect, and but like Rondé Hollis Jefferson, for example, is like the I think he's like kind of the poster boy for a guy who can't shoot sure. at all, but he's a good athlete. You can make pretty good decisions. He, at least he did it on the Nets, and then you know I, I think that defensive wing. You have to. You obviously have to rebuild the shot. I mean, that's kind of where you're at. You you can't play defensive wings. Like coaches don't play those guys anymore. Like it's all about right. offense, especially in the regular season with shooting. But for a very for no investment, I like where your head's at. Yeah, like I think that Rondé is better than Marcus because I think he's just more skilled, and I think that yes. he's bigger. Obviously, he's like six seven with a seven foot one wingspan, whereas Marcus Garrett's probably like six five with a six foot nine wingspan. But yeah, like I am intrigued by taking a shot on Marcus Garrett. I will say that. Like if I was running a team, like he would be I don't want to say a priority to like two-way guy for me, but like he would almost certainly be a priority exhibit 10 guy for me. Yeah, I definitely fall more on the latter, but I get your train of thought here. Yeah. Um and then the last team, I mean like we can I guess we can talk about like uh do you, do you want to hit UCLA at all? Like has anyone there impressed you? I haven't watched too much of them, to be honest. I'm going to watch them again today. So I, I don't really know enough about these guys yet. Like, I know Chris Smith. I haven't seen him this year, but I've watched him in the past. I haven't been super impressed. I watched Sharif O'Neal a little bit over the summer. I, don't, I know he's not getting a lot of minutes and stuff, but he's one guy I've seen a very little amount of. But overall, I just haven't seen these guys. Yeah, like, to me, there's not really anyone all that interesting outside of Chris Smith. You know, maybe you can make a case for Jalen Hill, but, like, it's probably just Chris Smith. Um the shot doesn't look bad. I will say that. Uh, and he's six foot nine with long arms and like reasonable athleticism, but like he's skinny and I don't, I don't know. They're not very good. I will say like, they're just a bad basketball team right now. Um, I think that that's it for Maui. I'm trying to think like if there's anyone else that we need to talk about, um, outside of Duke here. So let's, let's move on to Duke. Um, have you watched this game yet? I've not watched the game. I tried to watch some of the possessions for the players. So I watched like Wendell Moore's offensive possessions. Same with Matthew Hurt. Um, a little bit of Trey Jones as well. But I have not seen the complete game, no. So yeah, no, I watched a majority of it. I would not say like, look, I was super like hyper locked in on this game. Like evaluating it a, a ridiculous extent. But this result didn't really shock me, I will say. Um you know, that, that seems hot takey maybe, but like the, I kind of wanted to like dive in real quick to like what's happening around college basketball, um, around college basketball this season, particularly there are three to four factors where I think we're going to see a lot of these random upsets. So first high majors have been hit by pro departures, right? Like the last three years, there's been an increasing record set on people leaving for the NBA draft due to two-way contracts, due to changing opinions about, um, you know, professional model versus the amateur model due to whatever you want to call it. The last three years, more players have gone pro than we have ever seen. Two, the 2019 recruiting class is just weak. Like, there's not really another way to frame that. Three, the 2019 recruiting class, like, kind of spread out. Like, RJ Hampton and LaMelo Ball didn't go to college. 
Um, Anthony Edwards is at Georgia. We got the two kids at UW. Like there are a lot of guys that did not like cluster like the Duke kids did last year with uh, Zion, RJ, and Reddish. And then three, one thing that I think goes underrated, or four, one thing that goes underrated within college basketball is that I think basketball players are just getting better. Like the depth of good college basketball players is greater than what I think it's ever been. Like there are legit good players for mid-majors and low-majors now that just like maybe did not exist before. And I think that, you know, Stephen F. Austin, we could say maybe it's because more players across the international marketplace are playing uh, college basketball. We can say it because of American training, getting more uh, specialized in regard to basketball, but like they're just more good players now and mid-majors are reaping the benefits of that. So, you know, whenever you see Stephen F. Austin come into this game ranked 260th in the country, like it's, it's different than what it's been in the past. Random aside, who's the kid from Stephen F. Austin that came out like five years ago that plays in Europe now? Thomas like, Walker? Yes, Walker. That's the last time I've watched that team. So just for context, I that just came out of nowhere. Because I actually watched a, a decent amount of Walker when he was a prospect. I, I liked him as a college player, and I thought he was going to be a pretty good international player as well. But I, I agree with all your points, and I think... Like, again, I don't know if there's like a juggernaut number one team this year. This is not like no. peak Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson, like juggernaut. I never viewed Duke that way. I think they have some infrastructure problems. I mean, in the game yesterday, I, I've seen the box score very briefly, but I mean, they didn't shoot the ball from the line well at all, and they had a ton of turnovers. Like, that's usually a bad recipe to win basketball games. Yeah, like coming into this year, I would have had Duke around 10th in the country. Um, it's not that I think that they're bad, like literally having a top 10 team is great, but there were real shooting concerns. There were real two way concerns. Honestly, they're a little bit better than I thought they'd be, even though they lost this game because Cassius Stanley has emerged. Like he's Cassius Stanley might be someone that we need to talk about. Like we should real quick. Um, but like this, this Duke team is not the typical number one team. They're not a typical top five team. I don't think in terms of talent, um, they're just fine. And Stephen F. Austin took advantage of that. Um, last night they forced, I believe it was 22 turnovers, which occurred on something like 26% of Duke's possessions. Like it was just absurd. It was a, a very impressive performance uh, for them to force Trey Jones, who we consider to be one of these um, elite, you know, ball control guards, right? Trey Jones turned the ball over eight times last night. Like Stephen F. Austin, Kyle Keller, all these guys, they deserve uh, a lot of credit in what happened last night. Yeah, and that post game celebration <laughs> where he was just getting dumped, dumped on like Gatorade and everything. Like it just, systematically, it was just pretty hilarious. It, it just it's weird for me, honestly. Just a holistic take about Duke. It's weird for me to look at them and them not have like a real get prospect. Since I've been doing yeah. the draft, they've always had they've always had the high profile guys. And of all these guys, like I still kind of like Wendell Moore. Frankly, I think he's shown some interesting flashes, but I don't really love him this year. I think he's more of a multi year guy. Like Matthew Hurd's been really disappointing. For me personally, uh, Trey Jones, I, I like, I'm not crazy about, but the, to me, they don't really have like a get prospect. Like, I think actually, if you look, if you talk to NBA guys, potentially, they might like guys like Vernon Carey and Cassius Stanley the most on that roster, which is something I didn't expect really coming in. I thought that Carey would get pub Stanley's jump. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm buying completely 
but I, I can see why NBA teams would gravitate more towards him this year. It's just very weird overall to not have, of course, Zion's the outlier, but just not even have like that, you know, tier two guy on this team. Like, I don't know if I, I want to draft any of these guys really in the first round right now, which is crazy. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about cashes. So, you know, shooting, you know, has a 63 true shooting percentage right now. He's a ridiculous athlete, just an unbelievable vertical leaper. Um, does a pretty good job defensively, I think, like especially for a freshman. Like he seems to really have bought into his role, not being like some elite level shot creator. Like he really just runs the floor. He uh, takes spot up opportunities when they come and does like a pretty good job taking advantage of what is presented to him. I don't buy the jump shot. Like I know he's shooting nine of 18 from three. I know that he's at 50%, you know, from three right now. I don't like the mechanics. He shoots the ball too far out in front of his head. It's too far. It's too much of a straight line. The arc is, you know, very inconsistent. Like he's going to have real work to do on the jump shot. That's not to say that he can't get there, but I do think that like there is a very real worry that, uh, you know, he shoots what he's, he's on pace to shoot like two and a half threes a game or something this year, maybe three threes a game. He shoots, 45 for 130 from three. Um, and it's just such a small sample that people like melt down when he shoots 40% from three. And like, I still just don't, I don't buy it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. He's going to have to prove it a lot more to me. Cause I watched some of his pre-college tape and I was not that interested. I mean, we'd all know about the transition of athleticism, especially like yep. when he can really get out in the break, he looks like an NBA athlete. He's very clearly an NBA athlete, but he doesn't have incredible size for like a wing and, you know, the ball skills, I, I'm not sure if I buy that in the half court, like the passing, the decision making. He has a lot to prove. But on this Duke team, again, relative to the other prospects and expectation level, I think he's benefiting a little bit from that just because a lot of guys were probably lower on him coming in. And he's been a pleasant surprise, whereas almost everybody else is disappointed to some degree. Has Vernon Carey done anything differently than what you expected? Not really. I mean, some games he looks more like the the ceiling outcome for his offense. You can kind of see yeah. like more multifaceted ability to shoot. He'll put the ball on the floor a little bit. He'll show some touch on runners. He'll he'll make some interesting passes on the move or from a stationary position. And you'll see the flashes. I, I just don't – again, I don't buy the defense. I don't buy the, the main concerns about him, especially defensively. I, I just don't know how he moves in space effectively at the NBA level. He gets exploded over the top of – there's a lot of limitations there. There, but I can definitely understand why the NBA in this draft would be like, OK, like maybe he's a third big at the next level, um, and a third offensive big. We'll take him late in round one like that wouldn't shock me at all. He was really good against Georgetown and Cal um, was really, really good in that tournament uh, last night. He was Duke's best player. Like he had 20 and 11 and seven blocks like he was really useful inside. Just sometimes being that big inside is a huge factor, right? Um, being able to just take up space and have dudes bounce off of you um, because you're so much stronger than they are. Like, that's valuable. Um, you know, uh, it's it's still just like a backup center to me. If a team takes him at the end of the first round, I won't hate it. Like, I'm at that point now. Like, I think that there is enough upside for him as a backup center to where I get it. 
Yeah, no, that's where I'm at, too. I, I wouldn't fault that, especially with this class. And we'll see who declares and whatnot. But there might not be a lot of great options at that point. The odds are I will like other players more in that range. But if you do take him, I can at least understand the philosophy. And I, I agree with you as far as being big, like especially in college. But that's where you have to kind of worry about is like he's not going to have those same. I mean, he's obviously really strong and yeah. he's a great frame, but he's not going to have those same advantages at the NBA level. Yeah, and. You know, like Wendell Moore. Honestly, like, I, I don't think Matthew Hurt's been that bad. Like, he's been basically what I thought he would be. Um, I still think that, like, he's a floor spacer at the next level. Uh, he was, he played like five minutes against Georgetown, and like, that's kind of holding down the numbers right now a little bit. But, you know, like, he was, you know, fine against Cal. He was fine against Kansas. I thought last night was one of his better games actually, to be honest. Um, and then Wendell Moore is just not there. Like, Wendell Moore, to me, is still a guy that is, like, staying in school, I think. And that's fine. Yeah, and I think he probably should. I, I think I've made this comparison in the past. Not the same player on the podcast, but with, like, a Taylor Horton Tucker. Like, he has that bigger frame for a wing, but he doesn't have one skill right now that can get him on the floor in an NBA game. You yep. know what I mean? Like, he can he can handle a little bit. You see some passing flashes. Like, he made one really nice pick-and-roll read where I, he kind of just, like, manipulated his defender and then threw a skip pass. You see the flashes from him. Like, I don't think he's a stupid player. I think he's actually got some cerebralness to him. And I think he's a little... he's. More skilled than he gets credit for for his big. Can he provide any kind of convincing evidence that he can shoot the three? And NBA teams are not going to be convinced right now. And, and that's kind of the key here is like, where does he go? What's his perceptive value? Could he have more value staying in school and developing these skills yep. instead of going to the G League? You know, you know what I mean? That's going to be the calculus bet for him is weighing those options. Yep, no doubt. Uh, Cole, tell the people where they can find your work. As usual at thestepian.com, haven't written anything for a while. I'm hopefully going to write an overarching piece on this class, like where the value is, like who I like in specific ranges. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to commit to any date by that, but hopefully, you know, by the new year, I'll say conservatively. And uh, as usual, continue to listen to this podcast. Go to The Athletic. Keep me employed over there. Um, I don't know. We'll be back at some point this week uh, on Friday. We're going to record another one. Um, coming up here, uh, just about more prospects that we want to run through. So, um, until next time, no, 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 wait, Cole, we have, uh, we have, we have a review from big mood provider, uh, <laughs> your other boss basketball podcast. That's a worn gap sweatshirt, comfy, nice, but not fancy. No one is going to be like fire to your old sweatshirt from the first ear piecing cry. From Sam's white claw lubricated throat, this podcast reveals itself as that Gucci stuff. Uh, I am I'm impressed. This is a this is a tremendous review. I, I appreciate you immensely. <laughs> we have not heard one like that yet. I will give him that. <laughs> yeah, leave more like that. That'd be great. At some point uh, coming up here, we're gonna do a drive where. You know, I'm probably going to have people leave five-star reviews and we'll do like a mailbag off of it, um, just talking prospects, whatever. So if you want to start doing that now, please feel free. I don't know when that's going to run necessarily, but uh, if you leave five-star reviews and ask a question, we will try and answer as many, as many of them as possible. But um, until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. 